Welcome to Inside Ulster, the rugby podcast from the Bell Tale, with me, Neve Campbell, me, Jonathan Bradley, and me, Adam McKendrick. With expert analysis and special guests, let's kick off. Hello and welcome back to Inside Ulster. I'm Neve Campbell and as ever I'm joined by Belfast Telegraph rugby correspondent Jonathan Bradley and our Belltale sports reporter Adam McKendry. This week we'll be discussing a few previews including the Ireland v Italy Six Nations clash set for this weekend and Ulster's run against the Sharks. But first we're going to deep dive into the, I think it's fair to say, terrible performance Dan McFarlane's guys had in Glasgow on Friday past. The game finished 17-11 to the Warriors and despite returning to winning ways prior to the Six Nations, Ulster had to rely on a last kick of the game penalty to claim even the consolation of a losing bonus point. The loss is a little more bitter as they were leading at halftime as well and now it looks like the pressure is back on for the remaining five games of their URC campaign. Jonathan, I know Glasgow were coming into this game as favourites. They've won every one of their home games in the URC this season. You've written in the Belfast Telegraph this week that Ulster did seem to have the stronger squad. Was it a case of just better quality on the Scottish side's bench overall, do you think? Yeah, I think I think Ulster had the better starting lineup, and I think Glasgow had the better bench. You saw Glasgow stacking their bench with um, the returnees that they got from the Scotland squad. And I think essentially it boiled down to Ulster not being able to make the most of the period when they were in the ascendancy, which was, broadly speaking, before... Both teams started to empty their bench around the, the 55th minute. Um, Ulster really needed to score again before that. They had that line out, um, as I say, in the 55th minute. Couldn't capitalise. It was one of really a host of chances that they had to score from basically about the fifth minute onwards up to that point. And then you end up in a situation where we've talked about it a lot throughout the season they're going through these lengthy periods without scoring within games so we've seen it in games that they've won we've seen it in games that they've lost but they're not keeping the scoreboard ticking over because essentially because there's just a a bit of wastefulness coming in and they're wasting good opportunities and against decent teams in good form that's going to come back to bite you and that's what we've seen again what do you think, Adam, apart from that, what were the main negatives or what really went wrong for them on the night? Just a real lack of coming edge, I think. Like a real lack of ball carriers. And you know what? I don't think I've ever seen a team take it to Ulster at the Mall as much as Glasgow did on Friday night. We've seen teams get the better of Ulster at the Mall, but Glasgow really almost threw down the gauntlet quite early and said we're just going to take you on where you think you're strongest. And that's where I think Dwayne Vermeulen was a big loss because the mall defence just looked a lot more lacklustre than it usually is for Ulster. And Carter too, to be fair. Carter as well, yeah. Um, a, very, a very good point. And I think that's probably one of the things that st- stood out to me was almost that Glasgow were clearly a team in confidence in that they didn't shy away from trying to beat Ulster up at their own game. And whenever you have that confidence, you have that ability to try that. And if it doesn't come off, then you just turn to other avenues. But they went, we're going to try and beat you. And that's almost like a psychological 
blow for Ulster as well if you're getting mauled over whenever one of the big things is that you are so proud in your set piece. So that, as much as I don't think you know, it was a psychological blow that turned the game or anything, I think that probably was something that maybe rocked Ulster a bit. But then just in, in general play, I just thought they had a real lack of punch. You know, Tom Stewart has proved himself to be a big ball carrier, but in that pack, who was really making the big the big implosion that you really wanted from Ulster in that game? And there wasn't really too many. Harry Sheridan was was decent, but you know, there there was nobody who was really sort of consistently giving them that go forward ball that they needed. And whenever the conditions were like that on Friday night, and by all accounts the conditions were actually worse in person than they were how they appeared on TV. Whenever you you have conditions like that, in order to bring your backs into the game, your forwards have to be producing you very consistent go forward ball. And Ulster just sort of got <laughs> you don't want to say marred in, in quicksand or anything because they're playing on a plastic pitch so it's not even possible but it almost seemed like they just could never get any traction uh, with ball in hand They both had depleted sides as we were talking about but Johnny do you think anyone did really step up or are there any positives to take from another ways H- horrible night I mean I thought Sheridan played well I thought Tom Stewart played well Tamanga Allen without uh, continuing our descent into a big JF fan podcast Played. We've already done it with Mike Lowry. We may as well just move on to another player at some point. <laughs> um, played well, but to me, you know, it wasn't a night where an awful lot of players stood out. And I think the the worry isn't so much the continuation of what we've seen throughout long parts of this season of not an awful lot of players being in particularly good form. But the worries were probably more systemic for this one because as Adam said yeah very ropey conditions but if you're trying to play a game like that without the ball carriers like Adam mentions then it's very very hard to do so it almost you know a lot of players in the aftermath and the coaches in the aftermath spoke about having a really good plan and how they believed in the plan but it looked to me like they're trying to play a way that they're not best suited to playing. Um, but to throw sort of two cliches into the mix, you know, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. You know, Ulster, Ulster may have had a plan for that game, but once the conditions go against you, you've got to change that plan. And then you've got to earn the right to go wide. And as much as I don't always believe in that, you cannot bring your backs into the game if your forwards aren't giving you anything. And for me, Ulster's forwards were giving them scraps. And that if if you are battering away in the forwards and getting nowhere, how are you supposed to give your backs the momentum to try and cut through? Because we know Ulster's backs are good. But I think, like, you know, last year and in previous years, we saw things like an awful lot of tip-on passes and ways that Ulster manufactured gain line successes in the sense that they weren't a big team they're probably it's going to be difficult for them to ever be a particularly big team because of Mm. the for whatever reason the profile of people from Ulster the size profile of people from Ulster essentially plus you can't sign 10 Samoans and bring them into your academy a la Claremont Rossing. Yeah, but, you know, they have signed Kitchell and they have signed Dave Years and 
they're good signings, but to me, it's almost hints at a doubling down of that power game, which is what Tom, the phrase Tom Stewart used in his Viaplay interview before the game. And for me, and like I asked Dan Soper about this yesterday at the presser, like for me, that's not the most effective way for Ulster to play given the profile of the players. So, you know, you're talking about a lack of carriers and I think the lack of ball carriers looks more pronounced, obviously, whenever Henderson's not there, mm. whenever Stuart McCluskey's not there, even whenever Sutherland's not there. Like, I know he was on the bench, but um, I think it's very hard to play that kind of game when you don't have the ball carriers in your team from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And I think we saw really quite clever ways that Ulster worked around that in the last couple of years and I don't think we're probably seeing that at the minute so you know they're working on this power game they're trying to play that way and to me it looks blunt so sorry to take on Leaves role here for a second but what do you what do you put that down to then do you put that down to do you think they've changed style do you think they've I think they I think they've changed style I don't know whether you agree I think they're playing a different style Maybe different styles too strong, but I think they're playing with a different emphasis. And, you know, again, I put this to Dan Soper yesterday and he was sort of saying, you know, you can get distracted by things like looking back to that monster game when one that was played in the first weekend of June and the weather's obviously better and you can almost look at these things through rose-tinted glasses. You know, you look back at that game, you look back at the Northampton game, and you're maybe only getting the ball wide three or four times, but that's what people remember. But obviously, I mean, they didn't get the ball wide at mm. all in this game. They, were, they had zero linebacks. Now, to be fair, I think Glasgow were only credited with one. So it wasn't like Glasgow were playing a lot of rugby either, but mm-hmm. Glasgow's mall was working illegally or legally, depending on what way you look at it. But Glasgow had their mall working, Ulster didn't. And when they didn't have their mall working, it didn't look like they had other avenues to score. And like, you look at the stats and you know a huge amount of Ulster tries this year more than anybody else in the league is starting with the line-out so when that um, fails when you don't have your better line-out forwards which are um, I mean I think it's fair to say that Henderson and Carter are their best line-out forwards obviously Vermeulen is their best um, forward in the attacking mall and defensive mall in terms of the organisation um, I know you've Adam you've said before like they should be more about the systems rather than the individual personnel whenever you're seeing guys like that drop out. But mm-hmm. um, I think this was an instance where they weren't and they didn't, to me, look like they had um, without the mall. You know, when, when the mall wasn't working, I don't know if we saw the plan B. And look, it all come. You can keep pointing to the conditions and obviously they have played in some absolutely stinking conditions this year. I wasn't at the game, so uh, you're talking about how it looked on TV and from talking to people that were there, and obviously it was very difficult and it can become even more difficult even after the rain stopped because of the slickness of the ball on the 4G surface. So, mm-hmm. like You touched on it there, Johnny, and I was going to ask this. Is it the case where you think that they're just, we obviously don't know what goes on in training and, and not to completely point blame at the coaches or anything like that, but is it just a case of there it just is no plan B or it's not being pushed hard enough? Because I know as we're saying, like we're sort of blaming the conditions and stuff, but plan B should have accounted for that. There, there, has, there has to be a plan B. Like 
let's not play dumb here. Ulster aren't going into a game with one game plan and saying that's it. Because if, if the game plan clearly isn't working after 20 minutes and your coaches are sitting up there going, we have no idea what to do here, then it's a massive failing. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they don't have a plan B, but I would be massively shocked if a coach as astute as Dan McFarland and the guys around him didn't have a plan B in their back pocket. The issue is, are Ulster good enough to implement a plan B? Like the, This is a talented team, but we see pretty routinely that any time the mall doesn't work, Ulster struggle to win games and struggle really badly to win games. So it's a massive issue, as Johnny was touching on there. Why are Ulster not able to win games whenever one facet of their game isn't working? Because it's it's not it's not like the mall is the be all and end all. You know, if you struggle with ball carriers, that's a big part of the game because the majority of the time the ball's in play, you're going to be carrying the ball. If your mall's not working, you've got so many more avenues to try and score tries. If you can't score tries from the ball being in play, then suddenly everything becomes very streamlined into malls, scrums, and that's about it. How many five-meter scrums are you going to get? You're maybe going to get three in a game, possibly. Like, so that, to me, is the bigger issue for Ulster. Is have, and, and this is something we've been talking about for a long time. Do Ulster have the players capable of winning games whenever plan A goes out the window? I have no doubt they have a plan B every week, but is are they possible or sorry, are they capable of implementing that plan B to a level where they can win games? You know, are you going to dominate Leinster at the mall in the uh, Heineken Cup last 16 game? Absolutely not. Like Leinster are another team who have a ferocious set piece. Are you going to better one of the South African teams in the mall if it comes to the playoffs in the URC? Especially down in South Africa where the conditions are so much tougher for the forwards? Probably not. So where are Ulster winning these big games? Like, in, in the grand scheme of things, this loss doesn't matter because Ulster is still getting into the playoffs. It matters for seedings and all that. I'm not trying to say that it doesn't matter at all. But in the grand scheme of things, Ulster are getting into the playoffs. Mm. It would be a massive shock if they didn't make it into the playoffs at this stage. So they're going to come up against one of these big teams at some point if they're going to win the championship, and that's when it matters. Are, are they capable of producing a plan B that wins games whenever their backs are against the wall? So far this season at least, and probably extending back a few seasons, they haven't shown that at the right time of the season, they have the ability to pull off a plan B that wins them games. We're going to see how they do get on in South Africa. For for example, <laughs> um, on Saturday when Ulster kick off against the Sharks, where they last beat the Lions in the altitude of Johannesburg back in October, uh, Alan O'Connor, who's been filling in for skipper Ian Henderson while he's off, believes Ulster must take confidence from already winning that Lions game. Obviously, this has been rescheduled due to the, the ghastly gastroenteritis that ravaged Ulster back then. I wanted to ask if you're feeling optimistic, Johnny, but more so now that the seasons went on a bit, have your feelings or opinions changed much now since October or is it very much, I mean, they've lost four of the last six league games, obviously, but what it, what was your prediction back then and has that changed much to now? 
In terms of this game or in terms of overall, sorry? Um, in terms of this game, the Sharks. Oh, I thought they would get absolutely hooked whenever the game was originally <laughs> going to be played because um, it was basically two-thirds of the world champion South African team. Um, now, eight of those guys are going to be missing um, this weekend because the Springboks have a national camp, which takes out essentially all of their big names. Now, to be fair, the Sharks, like, they, w- they have won without them last week, so against the Lions, so... It's two teams not in particularly great form, missing a lot of big players and um, both desperately needing points for for different reasons. I think it'll be closer than it would have been in October. I think the Sharks would have won that game handily enough with Ulster probably at that stage coming back thinking that one win from two was pretty good. Now, I mean... You're looking at the table and you're sort of thinking, for starters, like I didn't think the Stormers were going to get two wins in the last two games, but you're looking at where they are in the table now and the fact that they have three home games in the last four and second place is gone, really. Like, I think to look at the season more as a whole, like I think Ulster really should have been targeting second place. I think coming into the season... I thought they were the second best team in the league. And now they're going to need to do something to get fourth. I actually have, and I think I lifted this literally straight out of one of your articles. Um, so number one, it's been 17 seasons since Ulster lifted silverware. It'll take, it'll likely take more than 60 points to finish second. Lancers in the top spot already uh, have the number one seed and all but locked up. And presently sitting on 44 with still one point ahead of Glasgow, Ulster will need at least one win from their next two games to get there. But, but like, do you see that happening, Adam? Like, what, like how, how do you think the, the table will finish up overall? I should note that I actually think they need more than that now because of those Stormers results. Yes. So, like, they probably need high 60s or either even the mid 60s now, yeah. you know? And if yeah. you're looking at that, that's what... That's probably five wins. Four wins probably doesn't get you there. Yeah, because we sat down in the office last week and we tried to sort of, not necessarily predict, but just sort of look at what each team could sort of be in and around. Which the Stormers uh, just made a mockery of. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So uh, let's not go into predictions or anything <laughs> like that. Um, I, I would agree that second is probably gone for Ulster. You would need a lot of results to go your way for that to happen and a lot of results from Ulster to go their way now and Glasgow's run is insanely easy yeah now you can make the argument about the uneven fixture list of the ERC or whatever if you want but at the end of the day everybody knew what the fixtures were coming in yeah and I think if you're looking at the Stormers you're looking at Glasgow like both those sides I think will likely only lose one more game Mm -hmm. this year Ulster, well, depending on how things are going with this Welsh rugby uh, situation. You're sensing Ulster, a walkover next week, are you? <laughs> well, uh, you laugh, but I mean, the situation. Oh, no, I mean, like the story, I think, coming out of Wales today was that there is talk that, um, New, or sorry, the Dragons, not Newport, the Dragons could strike for their game against Connacht. So mm-hmm. uh, it's obviously a, a moving situation, but it's something to watch out for with Ulster meant to be playing Cardiff next week. Yeah. So you may get, and I don't want to say lucky because the situation in Wales, no, nobody benefits from that, but you know, you, you could end up with five points from that in a game that 
you know, Ulster aren't necessarily guaranteed to win, but they probably they probably would have thought they would win, but maybe not with a bonus point. You may end up getting a five-point walkover for that. But, yeah, you're looking at some of the teams around them. As Johnny says, Glasgow are probably going to lose once more. You need the Stormers to trip up at least twice. and even they're not going to do. They're not going to do, and even if they did trip up twice, Ulster would have to be flawless for the rest of the the run in themselves Which and they're not they're, gonna they're not gonna do. So and then you're starting to look over your shoulder at Munster coming behind you. You know, Munster is two points behind and I can't remember exactly what their schedule like, but I think it's it's favourable enough. That the other thing that you have to remember position. is that the trajectories of the team. So yeah. Ulster were streaks ahead of Munster and Glasgow at the start of the season. So the direction of traffic is only going in one way in both these cases. Like Glasgow and Munster are on the up and Ulster are scratching for points. And how does that then affect them going into the playoffs? You know, we're still a wee bit away, uh, we're still a wee bit away from the playoffs. But if you think about where Ulster were coming into December, where they had a chance to go down to Dublin and even at half time of that game in Dublin... They were well on their way to closing the gap to, at that point, was it two points to Leinster at the top? I, I can't remember exactly I think what it, might it was. Have been three, yeah. Three, yeah. So they were within touching distance of closing the gap to three. They end up losing that game, going on that horrific run. And now they're in a genuine position where you could be going into that Heineken Cup last 16 game where they might be sixth in the league. Potentially even seventh, depending on how results go. Like this the is the, the precipitous is if, the shark, if the sharks beat them, like then the sharks who are in seventh. I know they will not be in seventh if they were to win their game in hand. But the sharks are presently seventh, and they close the gap on mm-hmm. Ulster massively with yeah. a win here. But like, yeah, like realistically, if you look at this weekend, Glasgow are going to beat the Lions, and that's going to take them above Ulster because we think that the sharks are going to beat Ulster. So you're then in a position where. Glasgow are on. Johnny's disagreeing with me. For, for all know. for all of those listening along, Johnny is making a face at me, saying that Ulster are going to win this game. Not uh, his usual face either. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't think. As I say, I don't think either of these teams are in good form or particularly confident. But uh, they're not. But you you you've got to factor in the travel situation. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Like as as much as I know, they're not in great form. You look at the fact that the Sharks won in Edinburgh. All right, they lost to the Stormers, but everyone's losing to the Stormers right now. But they they beat the Lions comfortably at the weekend there. I, As much as they're not in great form, I think they're in better form than Ulster. And even though they are going to be without their Springboks, and I know Afalele Fassi's out as well, who Ulster have struggled to contain the last few times they've played them. I think there's there's just too much for the Sharks here. I know there was talk that actually they might get one of the Springboks back. I don't know if the the report actually said who, but there was talk like one Springbok could be released this week and another Springbok could be released next week or, or something like that. But it's all, it's all very suspicious. Yeah. There were like there's fourteen players called up, but we're not gonna tell you who they are. And then people <laughs> are going through the like photographers' galleries being like, right, well there's Khaleesi, there's Ed Smith. Yeah. yeah. So uh yeah. I, I just looked at the handicap there. Sharks are actually minus nine and a half, which is one of the uh 
bigger underdogs that Ulster have been this season. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, and the, if you look then going forward at the the Sharks' schedule as well, all right, they have to play the Stormers next week, which is probably a loss. But then they go to the Scarlets, who are no real difficulty for teams this season. And then they finish the season with Benetton and Munster in South Africa. Like, if Ulster lose this game, are we putting them behind the who Sharks? Do, in yeah, terms who, of the, who do you have Ulster finishing above like the, at this stage? Like Connor and Teresa? Again, we're, la- we're, Sixth, la- yeah. we're laughing, but like, you're in a genuine position that Ulster could finish somewhere 7th or 8th here. Which would be an absolute disaster of a season for them, and the, I don't say that lightly. But if you look at the quality of the URC and where Ulster perceived themselves to be at the start of the season, you know they were going for second place, and the talk was we're gonna we're gonna beat Leinster into first. Not hosting a quarterfinal makes it a bad season. Like you could no. say that hosting a quarterfinal, and I think finishing outside the top two early season, especially with what's happened in Europe. Um, finishing outside the top two would have been below my expectations for them. But I think if they don't even host a quarterfinal in the league, then you're looking at that as not even treading water. And we've always taken Ulster treading water as being a negative because it's mm-hmm. not moving forward. But if you're not even hosting a quarterfinal and the way that the season's gone, essentially since December, then it's, it's much worse than that because mm-hmm. it's a considerable step backwards before you even consider any of the financial implications of not hosting a knockout game all Mm -hmm. season. And and bear in mind that if they finish 7th or 8th, then they are either going to be away at Leinster again, which they have shown no signs that they're going to beat Leinster in a knockout game uh, for a while, or you're going to be travelling back to Cape Town to face the, the Stormers, which is another financial hit in a season where Ulster just keep getting hit financially. You know, they're having to go back to South Africa for a second time because of the gastroenteritis. I think, I think the ERC are underwriting that, I think. That's what I've heard anyway. Fair enough. But, you know, you've got another trip to South Africa for the playoffs. You've got the La Rochelle situation, which we still don't know how it's being resolved, but... We'll never there's, know. There, yeah, there's, there's every chance Ulster could get fined and... That investigation is ongoing, guys. <laughs> Don't lose faith. Um, so yeah, but like, yeah, I, 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 to I, be I honest, say, you might be right. Like, I, I, I say, I say again, and I completely agree. If Ulster are not hosting a quarterfinal at the bare minimum, it's a disaster of a season. If they go on and win the playoffs, like by winning three games away from home, then fair enough, hold up your hands. That's a fantastic playoff run. But as far as the regular season is going, anything below fourth is a disaster and anything below second is below expectations and see whenever we find out what actually happens we'll come we'll revisit this and we will <laughs> deep, deeply analyze yeah, that we'll, potential uh, disaster or cut it up into eclipse so and just adam saying this is a disaster <laughs> but i'm sure they were saying like they were like gonna go for second gonna gonna pip um lancer that's definitely gonna be made into memes a hundred percent um so ireland had a wee bit of a break there for a few days over a week and now they're going to be playing Italy in the Six Nations again this weekend hopefully I know we talked last week about oh you know Ireland winning mentality will rub off on Ulster we're not going to that right now um, but going into sort of maybe maybe more positive 
positive discussions. Uh, Johnny Saxon looks likely to sit out the Saturday's clash with Italy. Uh, Joey Carberry was called up as out half cover ahead of round three of the championship. Scott Penny and Kieran Treadwell have been added to the squad for the first time in the campaign. Uh, unfortunately, Tag Byrne was last week ruled out of the remainder of the championship. And unfortunately as well, Joe McCarthy will also miss the rest of this year's campaign with an ankle issue. How big of a miss? Obviously, Tag Byrne's a, a huge miss, Adam, but how are you feeling for for this game on Saturday? The loss of Burn is obviously big. Like I'm 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 not trying to say like uh, Andy Farrell sitting back there going, Great, he's gone. You know, massive threat at the breakdown, explosive ball carrier, great hands for a forward. Um Ireland though are blessed in the second row that they have a player like Ian Henderson who can step up. So his loss isn't as keenly felt as maybe it would have been in other positions. Maybe on, on the benches, maybe where you'll feel it more because you don't have Henderson to then come on off the bench because I think there is a wee bit of a step down between Henderson and Joe McCarthy just because McCarthy's still got a little bit of growth to, to do. McCarthy's but injured, by the way. I thought that and then I couldn't remember who the other second row was in the squad and is it Baird? I'm guessing they put Baird there even though it's he's Baird, been playing yeah. six because it's either Baird or Treadwell I guess yeah so yeah so, so they would probably put Baird at, into second row and look again there's a bit of a a step down just to just from Henderson to, to Baird so it's, it's you're losing a little bit off the bench but for me, I don't think certainly like in a like for like replacement in the starting lineup, I don't think it's as big a blow as say other players dropping out of the team would have been. They will feel it. You know, Byrne is an excellent player. But I think Henderson is definitely the uh the kind of person you want to add. And Rory O'Connor had a great piece today that that we ran in the paper that, you know, in the absence of Jonathan Sexton you need players to step up and be leaders and who better than someone who commands so much respect both in his provincial squad and the international squad to to bring into the starting lineup so uh, bit of a bit of a blow yeah absolutely but i think you're looking at someone who's who's an excellent replacement in Ian Henderson you can catch up with with that and obviously all the Ireland and Ulster rugby news in the Belfast Telegraph newspaper and on belfasttelegraph.co.uk online. And we will be back next week to review the Ulster and Ireland games. Hopefully both go well. And until then, see you later. Thank you.